Software projects are organized and planned using project management software. Examples of project management software include Jira, Trello, and Asana. There are hundreds of tools for managing a software project because there are infinite ways that a project could be managed. Google Docs changed project management by allowing documents to be easier to share and collaborate on. Newer SaaS tools such as Slack and Dropbox and Notion have taken the design lessons from social networking apps to make enterprise software more engaging. As the tools improve, our project management strategies change, and new software tools emerge to fit those new management strategies. Kurt Schrader is the CEO of Clubhouse, a project management tool for software engineers. Kurt joins the show to talk about the history and the future of project management tools. He also discusses the engineering challenges of improving performance on a complicated web app, which the company he is building, Clubhouse, is quite complicated. It's required a lot of performance optimizations. Project management tools often have to load hundreds of small objects on a page. And in the case of Clubhouse, this required performance optimizations in the Clubhouse front-end JavaScript library. The new Software Daily app for iOS is out. It includes all 1,000 of our old episodes. You can find all of our old episodes and greatest hits and topics. You can comment on those episodes and communicate with other members of our community. And you can become a paid subscriber. You can listen to ad-free episodes by going to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash subscribe. Altology is the company who has been developing much of the software for our newest app. And if you're looking for a company to help you with your mobile and web development, I recommend checking out Altology. They've done quite a good job with the Software Daily apps. Kurt Schrader, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks. Good to be here. I have a recurring set of nightmares about working in a large corporation. And in one of these nightmares, I am staring at enterprise project management tooling. It's specifically a tool that we used when I worked at eBay. It's not unique to eBay. It was just a tool that we happened to, you know, vendor tool that we happened to use from, I think that was like six or seven years ago. And I know that I am not the only one that has this nightmare about project management tools and processes and Kanban boards. Why do project management tools fill me with a sense of dread? That's a good question. For a long time, they filled me with a, a sense of dread as well. And we started Clubhouse to address this issue, right? Like, I think the, the bottom line is that the people, not all the people, but when decisions are being made in a lot of the tools out there at big companies at eBay, and you know, they're targeting people way up the chain. They, they want to make sure that the head of, of product management for the you know, 5,000 people is happy. And they forget about you know, the people that actually have to use this stuff every day. And one of the, we, we think of that as, as, as completely the wrong way, right? Like we don't want to build the manager's tool. We want to build the developer's tool and the product manager's tool. I think that's what it is. I, I think people just don't think... Somehow we've lost track of, of the people that actually have to use this software all day and that their life should be enjoyable and that you know we can we can give them a tool that that actually is helpful and and gives them the visibility they need into what's going on without you know completely uh, being 
just kind of a, a piece of junk. So that's that's kind of where where we are starting from, and and I think that's kind of where that dread uh, stems from. There's also a nightmare I have about an enterprise project management tool that we used at Amazon, but that one was actually built within Amazon. So there are some companies that you know you have the developers in the company that say. I'm sick of this project management tool. You know, I'm going to go off and build my own. And then they build it, and the internal project management tool ends up also being dreadful. Why is it that even when engineers within a company try to solve this problem of project management, it ends up often resembling these dreaded tools that that the manager uses? It's another good question. And and I've been guilty of this as well. I've been building and running engineering teams for 20 years now and probably complaining about these tools for just as long and, you know, have have sent off sort of that that team to, you know, build our own thing. We know what we need. And I think I think there's a lot of inherent complexity in this. And unless you are spending all your time on it and trying to be very sort of explicit and directional about about where to go it, it's tough it's a hard thing to build on your 10% time because at that when you're doing that you're thinking about you know your needs or the needs of the five or six people around you and and I do believe you can build a, a great tool in-house for that I think you can run a five or six person engineering and product team you know I think we all know you can run it on a card stuck on a wall or you can run it on you know a Trello board or, or something like that but I think the the complexity and the number of interactions and the the guidance that you need to the team as the team grows is is where this starts to get hard and being very thoughtful about all those interactions and how you can sort of give people just enough guide rails to to do better work without sort of feeling like you're in their way or you're uh, uh, you know really punching them in the gut to try to you know work through these interactions between people it, it is is a really hard part and i think it takes a lot of work to sort of sort of scale things up and i i think one thing we did was we spent almost a year building the initial version of clubhouse building the data structures building sort of what we thought we would need to scale up to larger organizations from day one while still sort of respecting the user at the lowest possible level and i i don't think that's where most people start at i think they start with all right well let's figure out sort of a minimal case we can solve here and uh build from there and it's just really hard to 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 build that up over over time and i think you know it, it just like anything you know somebody else picks it up uh they 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 hack on their piece to it but unless unless your team is dedicated full time to it like thinking through all those interactions thinking sort of outside of the this is my needs and and you know these are the needs of everyone else in the organization i think that makes it really hard and that's kind of why those things sort of get grafted together over time but but don't really actually you know work for for anybody beyond the original sort of builders at some point before we talk in detail about what you are building i'd like to get your sense of the archaeological dig of different project management tools, because there are so many of them. And I think if we look back over the course of history, we can see these sections of time that are dominated by one project management tool or another. We've got the Jira era, the Trello era, the Asana era. Take me through your 
perspective, give me a brief history of the project management space as you see it and take us to the present. Sure, yeah. I think from you know my side of things, I, I've been, like I said, I've been building and running engineering and software teams for 20 years now. So when I started, there wasn't even Jira. There was there were some open source things. There was fog bugs. There was Bugzilla. Uh, just sort of like things you need to sort of get the job done and start starting to bring people together. And then uh, there were there were sort of a lot of small things, open source projects, uh, Jira, all these things fighting it out. And Jira did a lot of things right. They were you know a lot better than some of these tools in in, in a lot of ways. Right when you were still when the way you installed these things and, and dealt with them was sort of like putting a CD into a server somewhere and putting software on it, it was much easier to deal with Jira and, and spinning that up and you know running it in a data center somewhere than a lot of these other tools. And then they made the decision to make it super cheap on the low end. So they kind of sucked all the air out of all those other tools in a lot of ways. And it just kind of became the de facto standard, I don't know, call it 10, 15 years ago. And I think that's in in many ways, you know, we 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 spend a lot of time looking at engineering and product and and focusing on that and kind of ignoring the rest of the market uh, in a lot of ways right now. So almost all of those people, once you get to a certain size, use use Jira or you know some of them will use Rally or something like that. But the stuff like that is so much more expensive uh, that it's almost sort of taking itself out of the running for a lot of organizations. So. I think for a long time, like de facto, uh, the de facto choice is Jira, and you know Trello uh, makes inroads. GitHub issues makes inroads. You know these things are sort of dive bombing in and and working again for for small teams. Uh, you know the UI, the UX, the experience is 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 a lot better in in many ways on these things, but just haven't thought through how to scale. So you kind of always always go back to Go back to Jira in, in a lot of ways uh, if you're an engineering team. And yeah, I, I think that is really mostly what we focus on. I mean, there's a whole nother thread to this that, that you kind of brought up there around, you know, Asana and Trello and, and these more general purpose project management tools. And, you know, I, we, we try to stay very focused on on the engineering side of things. I don't think we're smart enough to solve that, that bigger problem. Maybe somebody else is. But I think that... To me, that side of the market seems even more, you know, it feels like new competitors are constantly showing up there and they bounce in, they bounce out. You know, some of them get big, the Asanas and Trellos of the world, some of them uh, stay small. It's also difficult because all those, all these tools, you know, both Jira and, and the other set of tools are free. So it's hard to sort of or, or have a free or very, very cheap version. So it's hard to kind of get started, get a foothold. Uh, use that money to to build a team around it and build up from there. So it's interesting. I mean, I, I think we're getting closer and closer to uh, tool a tools tool sets thinking about about the users, the end users more, and and really you know trying to trying to make people's days more enjoyable from from the very early days when you're just trying to get work done to sort of the middle ages when you when tools focus a lot on sort of management. You know, what can we show people way up the chain while sort of ignoring the users at the bottom. To, uh, I, th- I feel like we're finally entering a world, you know, Trello, Asana, uh, us, uh, where you know we're really thinking about you know users, what they need to get done, and, and hopefully we'll sort of swing in that direction further. We all know the importance of 
GitHub, especially Microsoft. You know, GitHub is is such an interesting case because it's this product with almost unbounded opportunity. It's like kind of what we've seen with LinkedIn, where LinkedIn started as this resume thing, and it's like, okay, I'm posting my resume here, and then I'm linking up with people, and then over time you realize, whoa, okay, they've got so many opportunities, they can go in a million different directions. What if LinkedIn did this? What if LinkedIn did that? And now they're kind of, you know, they're finally capitalizing on it after, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 years, and we'll slowly see the increase in dominance of LinkedIn. I think it's clear the same will happen with GitHub at this point. We, we know how valuable this platform is, and we can see the opportunities they're going to expand into. But at the same time, when a project gets, or when a product gets that big, it, it starts to, you know, you start to realize, okay, they can't, they're not going to be able to tackle everything. GitHub is not going to be the project manager du jour for software engineers. I mean, to some extent it is. It's it's an un it's an irremovable component of a software developer's workflow, but it is not the only component. It is just one component of the, of the development pipeline and, and you know, I know I know you're integrated tightly with that or you you know, you have deep integrations that people can use with GitHub. Although a more recent player is GitLab, which they have this, you know, I, I think they're kind of going after the same spaces as GitHub, although with a slightly different spin, and they're earlier, so you could see them being hungrier, perhaps, and maybe going after the project management space a little bit more aggressively. How do you evaluate GitLab as a project management tool? Yeah, this is something we, we talk a lot about internally. And I, I think there, we sort of have a mental model, which is if you were starting a new software project or software team, and you could hit a big red button and say, spin up all the software I need to build a new project. Let's call it 10 people. You've got 10 people. You've got a product manager. You've got a designer or two. You've got maybe a QA person and six or seven or eight engineers, right? So one squad or, or pizza team or whatever you would like to call it. What, what does that big red button do? And one option, I think the, the GitLab option is, you know, hit this button and GitLab spins up. And GitLab gives you uh, your chat interface. And GitLab gives you your, uh, obviously, your, your source control interface. And it gives you your build infrastructure. And it gives you your package repository and your project management tool, right? And I think that's the, I think it's an interesting idea. There are a lot of pieces there that you need to do really well. And I think another option is, you know, hit this big red button and, you know, we're going to spin up a GitHub instance and we're going to spin up a Slack instance and, you know, hopefully we're going to spin up a Clubhouse instance and, you know, we're going to spin up a wiki instance, right? But there are not not a lot of great options there right now, but let's let's find something to slot in there, right? What are, what are all the best of breed tools? Mm. So I think for us, by the way, read, readme.io is pretty good. Yeah, I think it is that we could have a different conversation there. <laughs> okay, all right, uh, continue, continue with your is, point. Yeah, you know, I think there is. Those are kind of the two models. One is sort of like 
as a team, I, I'd like all sort of the, the best of breed tools. Let's slot in readme.io there, right? Or whatever, right? You could select from the two or three that, that are that are good out there. And you know, you, you could pull all these together, you hit your big red button, everything's there and, and you can start developing, right? You know, the other option is yeah, you you get GitLab. And there, I think there are different trade-offs there, right? Like I think just by definition, the tools in GitLab are are probably not gonna be at the same level as other tools, you know, there's other trade-offs. You, 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 they might be better integrated. You know, you, it's simpler to to do that, right? So, so that's kind of, you know, I, I think structurally how how we think about it. I don't, you know, Git GitHub has their project management tools, but they're, you know, I think you'd be hard pressed to scale them to 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 a very big size. Uh, GitLab, I think, to your point, is attacking this a little bit harder and we'll see, but I, I don't think anybody's choosing GitLab for their project management tools, at least right now. They're saying this is a good source control tool. We can install this on our our servers locally and, and we're a SaaS tool. So if you if you need a tool that can be installed, you know, in-house, then then we're not not the right choice for you anyway, right? So I think we look at it and we watch what they're doing and, and we understand sort of that model. But I, I think there is a big market and I feel like you know, it will continue to be a big market of people who want to say, you know, I'm going to take this piece off the shelf. I'm going to take this piece off the shelf because they're all better than, uh, you know, the 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 GitLab model or the, the what GitLab offers. And then I think it's up to us to build really great integrations between those. So you sort of get get the best of both worlds. You get things that are, are very well integrated, work really well together, you know, that your data flows through them appropriately and, and lands in the places you want it to land. And, you know, but you get each tool you're using throughout the day is, is sort of a better option than what you would have got out of GitLab. I did an interview with uh, with Sid from GitLab, the CEO, uh, a while ago. And uh, <laughs> what was fun about it was the guy, he's got this total poker face. And I'm, I was interviewing him in person and I was like, so you're really going to go after all these things, right? Like you're really going to do this. And he's like, yeah, we're, we're, you know, breadth, not depth. We're going to go after all these different things. It's going to be open source. You know, we don't expect it to all be the best, at least, you know, initially, but we want to provide you with a simple default for all of these different things and we'll improve them over time. And just like total poker face. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. You know, I, I, and I could, you know, I respect that. I, I have, you know, massive respect. Like, why not? You know, who, who can tell him, you know, that's not going to work. It might work. They might be able to improve over time. You look at Amazon, so many random services at Amazon, they just look janky at first. And then over time, they just iterate on them. And it's like they ship them out there in the public really quickly. The public gives them feedback. They're able to iterate on them quickly. I'm not sure, you know, Amazon is or AWS, you know, is, is is uniformly best of breed. But there are certainly some solutions where they're best of breed, and then, you know, they just have this horizontal expansion, this rapid horizontal expansion. Then they, over time, expand those horizontal expanders vertically and get them, you know, improve on quality over time. But I, I, I think your focus is, you know, you know, in the project management space. And uh, and you're probably you know it's exist so it's existential for you to make project management work. Yeah, I mean, if GitLab gets to the point where they've built a better tool than what we're building, then that's kind of on us, right? Like this is all we do, and I want to build the the best thing out there that that for teams to to build software together on. And if 
you know, GitLab is doing 50 things or, you know, whatever, they're probably not doing 50 things, but if they're doing, you know, a dozen things, say, and they do all of them better than everyone else out there, then I think they deserve to win. Like that's, that's pretty impressive. That's right. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, it is, if they do, then kudos, kudos to them. Right. And, and, you know, but it just feels like a, you know, I think you keyed into it a little bit there with the way you described it. Like it's a pretty high bar or like each of these is very difficult on their own. And and I know people at, at GitHub and sort of said, you know, hey, are you are you going to build this? Like, you know, is this something that you're working on? And, you know, obviously things could have changed. This was a few months ago, but they were kind of like, it's there's so much you have to do here to build a good tool, right? Like yeah. we've got all this other stuff we want to build. Like, I, you know, this is a whole nother, you know, X hundred people just for to build a really good tool here. And you've been at this for five years and this is where you are, right? And you have a long ways to go. So I... I mean, again, if they can do it, great. Uh, but but I, I feel like we, by by focusing in and really trying to knock it out of the park, we'll we'll be able to stay, you know, if not one or you know, if not ten steps ahead of them, then you know, at least at least a number of steps ahead of them. Yeah, I mean, GitHub is in a place where they're drawing up the ten-year roadmap or the twenty-year roadmap, and they're just like, because that's the way that they should be thinking at this point under Microsoft, and you're just like. Look, I want to solve project management for today's engineers or for the engineers of the next five years or whatever. Or, you know, I'm sure you, you know, you can think you can think very long term as well. But just GitHub is in a different position resource wise and, you know, what they what they need to accomplish in order to kind of move the move the numbers um, in a meaningful way for their, you know, for their recent acquirer. Slack has totally changed how we do work. Or I guess you could talk about this the Slack-like products as well, like Microsoft Teams or Mattermost. How has Slack changed engineering and how does that plug into what you're building with Clubhouse? So Slack kind of came out of the gates not too long before we started to to draw up what eventually would become Clubhouse. And, you know, in a lot of ways was was an inspiration, right? Like we all had, uh, you know, IRC channels. We all had I don't know, campfire, like hip chat, like there was Slack, you know, day one was not that much different from those things. And Slack, but Slack came out of the door and said, Hey, here's a tool that everyone in the organization can understand. Here's a tool that's fun. Like, you know, click this button and something fun happens. Uh, here's a tool that, that looks modern and is colorful and has a UI that, that people like and, you know, just blew everyone away. I mean, their, their success speaks for themselves, right? And from my perspective, you know, my engineering team at the time at, at my last company, I had probably 30 or 40 people on my team. The last company I was, I was part of, there was, I, I think it was like one day where I said, hey, let's try Slack. The management, some of my senior people kind of pushed back and said, oh, we already have Campfire or whatever it was. And literally I said, okay, well, let's just try it for an hour. And within like an hour, everyone was like, okay, we're done. Like this is this is where we're going to move. So, you know, and I'd never seen that before. Like I've been in this business for a long time and, and that's that's a rare sort of thing. And I mean, I think we could have a very long discussion about, uh, you know, whether or not Slack has, has effectively increased communication or not communication productivity over time. I think there are a lot of questions that are starting to crop up in organizations around 
where information should land. Should it land in a tool like like Clubhouse? Should it land in Google Doc? Should it land in Slack? Because I think you know Slack, a lot of information can get lost in there over time. And I think people have, you know, are learning to sort of not be on it all the time. But there was a period of time where it was, you know, 24 hours a day where people are reacting to Slack, right? So (laughs) from my perspective, like there was was fun. (laughs) You're the party parrot. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, add your own emojis, which I love. Uh, Actually, we we, we let people do that too. But I mean, I think like the slash Giphy, that was a thing for a while. (laughs) Slash Uh, Giphy, random GIF, please. Uh, yeah, it's always never. You know, anything. you start to you, we started to see this thing. Like, it's like the same thing happened with Facebook, where you look back at like your first two or three years of Facebook usage, and you're like, "What the hell was I doing?" <laughs> like, it's like the cryptocurrency madness. It's like, yeah, we're all doing ICOs. Look, this is going to happen. This is a real thing. And then, like, the time passes. You're like, "What the hell? What was I doing? What happened to me?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to take from that, right? There's yeah, there was this big initial burst of excitement. There was a, a period of like, yeah, cat gifts and, and you know, like whatever uh, gifts from uh, Marvel movies and, and things like that, right? And and now it feels like people are sort of saying like, this is good for the following, you know, 30 things, right? And it makes my life better in these ways. And if we, if we put a little bit of guardrails on things, like this is how things go, you know, can, can make life better. And And I think, you know, on our side, when we look at that and and how how that's changed work, it's it's sort of like how can we you know keep the best pieces of that going? You know, we use Slack. I think every every company, you know, if I had to go through, you know, we have two thousand customers that use use Clubhouse at this point, a little over two thousand, and I would say if not a hundred percent, then then close to it, use either Slack or Teams or, or Mattermost, like the. So, I mean, it, there's clearly a need for this. There's clearly, a, you know, people don't don't know how to operate without it at this point. But I think as a industry, and we're we're getting to the point where we're starting to have this conversation around like what what's appropriate with this, what's not appropriate. How do we, you know, things that should be preserved longer term, where do they go? You know, and this back to the GitLab thing. Maybe they have have some, uh, uh, you know, maybe they'll have some opportunities here because everything's so tightly threaded together when, you know, all this conversation in Mattermost needs to flow into whatever the GitLab wiki is. And then, you know, that can flow through to GitLab tickets or something like that, right? So like figuring out how that works and then, you know, for us sort of emulating that or making that work really well is important. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Slack, Slack, Slack's just a just a beast, and and it's been super interesting from my perspective to watch them blow up in the way that they did, and and just be be so pervasive across the industry at this point. Now, when you're talking to customers and they're talking about how they manage their projects, I'm sure you do like kind of interviewish sort of sessions with your customers and your power users. Do they do they get prescriptive with with how they want people to be working with these different software tools because what has worked so i mean i have a two-person organization basically and there's some contractors and some other people that that work with us but generally it's like a two-person organization and what we do is we kind of have an organic development you know for how tools kind of find their place like what we use google docs for um, you know, maybe we'll try the trendier tools like the Airtables or the Notions or whatever eventually. But it's kind of an organic thing. We're not super prescriptive. At 
large organizations, do they get prescriptive about, like you said, this this issue of where data lands? It totally varies. Uh, one thing that's that you know, I thought I had a handle around when I started this company. I, I used to do consulting work, so I've worked in banks, I've worked in big companies, small companies, startups, all over the place, and. You know, my mental model was sort of there are a few ways that engineering teams work, and uh, you know, this this is where you know the best practices is how things are going to go. And I think probably you know we've got two thousand customers. There's probably two thousand different ways that people yeah. do this thing. So we see everything from this. You know, uh, on one end of the spectrum, you know, th- thou shalt use Jira. Everything has to go into the Jira. This is how bugs are going to be filed through the Jira. Here's a 20-step process to file a bug. To, you know, at the other end, organizations that say every team gets to choose their own tool. This is do things however you want. And, yeah. you know, we'll assume uh, sometimes it's from the selection. Sometimes it's from, you know, like just whatever people want to use and everything in between. Uh, you know, people that can use use a tool like Clubhouse next to a tool like Jira. So it's kind of kind of all over the place. And I, I think the biggest problem here and, and something that, you know, I think is is worth somebody diving deeper into is uh, is is discoverability at some level, right? When you have a large, really big organization or even, you know, a hundred person organization, like understanding what's happening within the organization and also sort of where to go to find out what's happening gets gets more and more difficult right and and we have a we have a statement or a sort of a, a shorthand we use internally called the Trello problem which is Trello lets you build unlimited boards and we've seen companies with almost 800 Trello boards for a couple oh, hundred no. users and we're like that's I always have the same conversation with the CTO the CEO you know whoever's at the top and say how do you know what's going on and they're like we have no idea what's going on that's why we need a tool like Clubhouse right um, so like yeah I mean there's good reasons at, at some point to, to I think put some guide rails on how things go or, or at least start to think through like how, how this you know, your organiz- your your information is going to come together over time. So you can say, what is this? Why did we build this? Who built it? You know, like having to look through 700 Trello boards to figure that out is not, not a scalable solution. I think this is, this is our, this is actually the benchmark we should use for how we break up tech companies is once you have 700 Trello boards, <laughs> you are forced to be broken up into smaller organizations. Just, you just, just sorry, you've like, we, we're just going to put this into the uh, US constitution. You need to be broken up. <laughs> just a federal rule, right? That breaks it's just a federal down. rule. Yeah. Once you hit 700 project management, but it, so the, you know, the problem of finding tools within an organization I had a conversation just earlier this week about that same thing. Somebody told me, you know, actually we're using Okta now to find Okta, the the like enterprise authentication solution, because all the tools, you know, we we use Okta for the single sign-in across our organization. And basically, Okta is the one place where we know we can find all of the tools that we're allowed to use. And it's like, that's how people are discovering what tools are available in an organization is Okta. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we see we see a similar effect. I mean, there's just so many tools, right? And when we go into large organizations, like the step one, you know, people will spin up a Clubhouse instance, really like it, you know, put it on their own credit card, right? Just to route around some of this stuff. But if we want to go bigger than that, it's like, you need to go through the... Acta or the Duo or any of these things approval process, right? So you can be on the approved apps list. So when people log in, 
they can see you there and click and and accept and it's already approved. But yeah, I mean, I think there are two, maybe three companies I know of that are using Clubhouse to build tools that are just tools to tell you how many SaaS tools you have at your company. Yeah, of course. So that's just a whole, just in the last couple of years, that's become a whole category of company on its own, right? So yeah, I mean, there's just there's just a million things out there. So that's tough. Cutting through the noise is definitely hard. I don't, what, what I will say is great about this time is, so the last company I worked at was Amazon. And when I was onboard, actually, when I left Amazon, I was still onboarding, basically, like eight months into the company. Because you're, you know, when you're onboarding in one of these big companies, it's like, okay, day one, here is a link to 400 pages of wiki stuff to read about how you like get your tools and stuff set up and how you get your IDE set up. And like, here's a link to the internal, you know, tool that does this and the internal tool that does that. And just like, this thing is deprecated and don't use that thing. And it's just a complete mess. And, you know, we in, what you're describing is, is kind of a mess as well. But at least it's a mess where every tool has a company behind it. And it they're existentially incentivized unless you go with kind of a bundled, you know, situation. Like, you know, I mean, the Git, the Git, even the GitLab situation, I would say, is arguably better. If you buy into everything in GitLab, at least you have a company behind it supporting it rather than this environment where every company says, hey, we're going to build every tool for our use cases. I feel like we are finally moving beyond that, like the territorial nature. You know, you you just see these, you see this attitude in in these gigantic companies where they just want to solve everything with their own internal tool. And it's like, I think we can safely say that is not the most productive approach now. Yeah, I think companies are realizing that the it's an engineering team right like especially on the engineering side people are you know I'll, I'll solve this problem i'll just build something to solve this problem you know why 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 would i pay you know you just we'll use us as an example because this was the the joke we had sort of early on you know why would i pay you clubhouse ten dollars a month when i could build something that is you know 20 times worse and only cost me a hundred times as much to build right <laughs> yeah so and it's like and i'm like i don't i don't how can i argue with that logic uh, <laughs> yeah and and you know a lot of times it would sort of be like but it doesn't do the one thing that i needed to do right and i think as we've continued to grow like we've you know kind of kind of held the the balance there on you know not not implementing everything in the world but you know for a lot of those one things like we now have have a good good solution to that right and i think that's probably you know what it came down to a lot in the past though where somebody said ah oh, we installed this thing it doesn't do the three things that support the way we are we want our team to work so let's just build our own thing right and then, you know, if that works really well for that team, you know, a few other teams pick it up and they either put their stuff on there or get frustrated in different ways. But I mean, there's got to be a come to a point where you say, you know, it's not worth it for every single person that we bring into the organization to have to learn a full set of, you know, the Amazon internal tooling set or whatever it's called, right? And then when they turn out, you know, if you leave there and you go to Microsoft, you got to learn the Microsoft internal tooling set. Because like you said, right, eight months in, you're still onboarding because you have to learn a whole new, whole new way to do things, right? And I just, I don't think every engineering team is like a special flower that needs its own, you know, completely different way of doing things. I think we can start to standardize on some of this and then really 
build value, uh, you know, by building the stuff that, that we should be building. And, and you know, that's kind of what, what, what we're trying to do and, and bring to the forefront that, you know, we can build you a great tool. You can build your own thing in-house, but, uh, you know, it's probably not a good use of your time. Yeah. We will get to Clubhouse. <laughs> One more product. Have you used Facebook for work at all? I have not. I've used Facebook, but I have not used Facebook for for work. So yeah. you'll have I, to explain it to me if you want my I, commentary. I know, I know. I, I haven't used it. I haven't used it. I saw somebody on a plane using it, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I want to, I want to like crane my <laughs> neck." And he was across, you know, across the aisle, and I just saw it out of the corner of my eye, and I wanted to just like peek across the aisle and see how this thing works. You know, it's. I don't know how it works, but I I want it. I don't even know what it does, but I want it because when I think about like what I want my organ, how I want my organization to work, like having an internal Facebook would be awesome. That seems sounds perfect, you know, a, a total just envelop me in my project management tool. Which anyway, well, well, we'll have to wait till they actually come out with that to discuss. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I think there's a lot of like that is an area where there's a, probably a lot of interesting things that could be done. I mean, everything back to, you know, your Bloomberg terminals used to be able to tell you everything about everyone you work with, right? Right. And, you know, I think we've kind of lost that. I was hoping at some point, you know, Slack seems like a really natural place. If they had a nice, like, you know, a lot of information about a person and there's a there's an org chart and people could fill in their own thing and, you know, put in the name of their dog and, you know, all the, all the stuff you would want to know about a person. Like that seems like a supernatural place to, you know, put that in. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's something there. It'll be interesting to explore, but I, I haven't seen it. And I've never heard a company like we've had, you know, we have thousands of customers. We have thousands of people that have tried Clubhouse beyond that. And I've, no one's ever said, hey, do you have a Facebook for work or we use Facebook for work? So I, I don't, I'm not really clear on what the penetration is at this point. Yeah. I don't think it's it's very existent. And I think, you know, another point there, right? Like, I think people kind of scared of that, right? Like, do people really want to spin up Facebook at work? <laughs> no, no, they don't. They don't, unfortunately. Bad, yeah, yeah. They don't. They don't. It's, it's a problem. It's a problem. It's just they like, uh, yeah, trust is hard won and easily lost. You know, what you said about Slack there is pretty interesting. Like, I would, you know, this whole motto of Slack where work happens I would like Slack to be my work identity. I think that would be great. I don't really want, I mean, I, right now my, you know, your work identity, I don't know what you, how your company operates, but I'm assuming it's like the Google identity system. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, I don't mind it. It's okay. But I think I kind of want my Slack. I, I would like, I would prefer my my identity, my work identity to, to be Slack. I'm not sure, I don't, this is not a fully formed thought, but I think, you know, that would be preferable to Google. Google just is too much. They're doing too much. I don't really want my my. Like I've already I've already got my personal and my entire per, like I've already gone. You know you have no choice, right? You you have to go all in on Google as a human being. So I've, I've already gone all in as a human being. Do I really have to rest my entire business identity on Google as well? Like, is that really necessary? Yeah, it's there's. I mean, part of this is there's. Yeah, there's really not another great option. I guess there's the Microsoft suite, but you know, we could argue about whether that's that's better or worse, right? But I think, you know, to the analogy I made earlier about the big red button, you know, you hit it and you spin up GitLab, you're still spinning up a Google Apps account. You, you yeah. hit it and you spin up everything else, you're still still spinning up a Google Apps account. So maybe there's something there around disrupting that at some point as well. But yeah, it's just the the de facto choice for everyone. I think Clubhouse is project management software that is built for software engineers. 
Tell me some deliberate design decisions that you made to optimize for engineers. Yeah, I mean, one of the first things we did, I think, before we, I mean, we had two companies using Clubhouse, was build a GitHub integration, right? Like we want to meet people where they do their work, and we use GitHub. They all use GitHub, so it didn't make sense to us to have to go into the tool and you know update. The one thing that always bothered me was, you know, oh, it's the end of the day. I finished this thing. Let me go in and, you know, to this other tool, the the project management tool and, and you know, move this ticket card over or click a button to say it's done. So, you know, how much of that can we, can we take off people's plate and make, uh, make life easier from them, from their perspective? And I think a lot of, you know, the decisions we've made are just around, you know, making I think there's no way around like th- these kind of tools are overhead in some way, like they're tracking the work you do. And so there's always going to be some some effort that you have to expend that, you know, in a perfect world, you you wouldn't expend. So how do you lower that bar as much as possible and, and you know, give people the information they need, but, you know, not let them sort of interact with the tool as little as possible, right? Like come in, figure out what's going on, focus in on the things they need to do, and then go work where they want to work and, and really like, uh, let, them, let them do the work. And I think that feeds into a lot of things, right? Like there's a lot of expectations you should have of your tools at this point. You should, if someone else updates the thing you're looking at, like it should update. You shouldn't have to refresh a page. If you want to load up the thing that you're working on, the, the ticket or the story you're working on, uh, it should load fast. You know, it should be you know, lightning fast, as fast as possible, you know, everything else behind it, you don't really care about, right? Like that, that can all load in the background after you get your work up on screen as fast as possible. Mm. You know, one change I think that's driven me nuts lately is when you load Google or excuse me, Gmail. Now you get that little M that pops up and then fills up red and then it eventually opens. Right. And and we want to take this in the other Same direction. Same thing with LinkedIn. Same uh, thing with LinkedIn. When you go to LinkedIn.com, it's like loading bar. <laughs> what? What am I waiting for? Yeah. Yeah. What am I waiting for? <laughs> and and I think, you know, we think a lot about this as as we use a term called paper cuts, which I think I got from from Nat Friedman over at, at, at GitHub. Hmm. And it's just, you know, these are the little things that, hmm. that just drive you crazy all day they long. Do. Right. And the the more we can reduce those and and you know make your experience as enjoyable as possible possible as fast as possible support the tools that you use so you can you know look at the ticket you're working on look at the story you're working on click through you know have the link to the to the to the GitHub uh, commits that you've done against it have a link to the pull request if you got a pull request you know see you know how how builds are going like all those different pieces need to be woven in there so you can get in you know, find the work you need to do as fast as possible, figure out the context, and then jump to wherever you need to actually do the work. And, you know, it's an ongoing process, like, but, but I, I think just thinking everything we do gets looked at through the lens of how is this going to affect engineers? And I think in a lot of ways, it's stuff we, we don't do. Uh, one thing that's a, a constant sort of drumbeat request is sort of, hey, can I track how much work each of my individual engineers are doing right, and and that's not a feature. That's a feature we're just not going to ever uh, implement uh, because 
one, I don't think it has a lot of value, but also it's, I think it's counterproductive to engineers actually liking us, right? Like, I don't want you to feel like we're tracking, you know, counting your lines of code against someone else's lines of code or whatever other metric you can come up with that that should be easily gamed. I think there's, you know, there, there's that piece as well. And and, and other things, we, we started, uh, we've always been API first. So engineers, you know, the team can come in and build whatever they want on top of it. You know, just stuff like that to to really like you know. I think I think it's about respecting respecting the user. And you know, when you when you think about that, like, what would I want to use? Like, how can I make this the best tool for me as an engineer? And then we'll secondarily think about sort of the management uh, on top of it. it. It just leads you to a different place and, and a different way of building things. I like the speed point where you said about the paper cuts because coming back to your admiration of Slack. Slack does not have too many paper cuts. You send a message and it gets to the person seemingly, you know, instantly. I don't, I'm sure there are some UI, little UI tricks they're doing to make it look like it's, you know, kind of arriving at its destination faster than it has, things like that. But I know I've done a few shows about engineering at Slack and they are so hardcore about performance. What are some 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 hardcore performance optimizations you've made so that you can get that slack like buttery fast responsiveness yeah so we have uh, originally we built our own front end framework so that we could be as fast as possible now now our front end's kind of a mix of that where we need need a lot of speed and uh, uh we're, we're mixing in a bunch of react for for things that that you know, don't need to be as fast or aren't, aren't as important on that front. But, you know, that was sort of day one. You know, we, we had a test suite uh, where we said, okay, can we render 10,000 uh, story cards on the page? And how long does that take? And if, it, if that started to change, we, we hit the brakes and, and sort of moved in that direction. Uh, to, or we, we hit the brakes to, to fix that. Some other things uh, on, on our back end, we've done a lot of optimization over the years to minimize the amount of data that needs to get to the front end so we can render as quickly as possible. You know, I think originally we did that through a bunch of different endpoints. Now we have, at least for, for some of the work we're doing, we, we, we do use GraphQL for a lot of that to sort of only ask for the data that we need. So again, we can get things to you as, as, as fast as possible. And you know, I, I think it's just constantly... Again, this isn't that hard if you keep this in mind all the time. I think it's having a set of principles that you that you use to do the work. You know, when when we go to work every day, and everyone internally understands sort of what you know what the goal is here, and that's how you sort of sort of build that out. I mean, another thing we did on the back end was things started to slow down as our database started to grow, so we actually built. A custom caching layer, which right now is is distributed across a couple of of AWS availability zones. But basically, uh, we spent the time to take database data and then in the caching layer, make sure that for each organization within Clubhouse, it was all uh, localized to to one one machine in the cache layer. So when you come wow. in now, you yeah, it, it it's. It's it's great, and uh, you know, as part of a function of we use sort of a esoteric database on the back end that sort of enabled Datomic. It. Yeah, hey, uh, <laughs> I, I saw your uh, I saw your Hacker Noon interview. I was like, wow, Clojure and Datomic, you guys are like serious New York hipsters. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've tr- I've been trying to get the Datomic guy on. It's Rich Hickey, right? That's who created yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, Rich. I've been and, trying and to get him on from Cognitech. I, yep. I've been trying to get them on the show because I, I, this is like my little brother when he was going through his most hipster development phase was really a fan of Datomic. I was like, cool. I don't know, you know, okay, stateless or something. I don't really know what's <laughs> cool about it. But that's cool that you use it. Like you're the first, <laughs> first. I think the first person I've interviewed who actually uses Datomic. Yeah, I mean that. So that was I, I originally wrote the the back end here when we were getting started long ago. And now I'm now whenever whenever there's bad code, I say, oh, that that was probably my code. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, it's it's been it's been a journey. Uh, I mean, it it really enabled a lot of things for us that I don't think we could have. It would have taken us way too long to do, or we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. And then, you know, the flip side of that is, hey, this isn't scaling the way we want it to. So we have to hire someone who helped build Datomic and then uh, build out, you know, our own custom caching layer, which is, you know, when we got it done is, is great. Uh, but, you know, there was a period of time where it's like, oh boy, I hope we get this done because things are slowing down and, and that's not good. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it's, it's super cool though. Like, uh, and, and, you know, one thing that I've learned from this journey is there are a lot of people out there who would like to get paid money to write closure. So we, I think we've got just built a, an awesome team there uh, around that. And, and yeah, I don't wow, know. What a, what a competitive advantage. That's actually a great competitive advantage. If you can yeah. be the, the, the closure shop. Oh yeah, it's great. No, it's great because there are not very many closure shops, and you know we'll see how far we can scale this. But so far, it's just been an <laughs> awesome, awesome experience uh, with 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 hiring really smart people. Uh, and you that's know, some measured measured confidence. <laughs> we'll see how far we can scale. <laughs> Until we have all the closure developers, and then we shut down Clubhouse and just become a closure consultancy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once we, you know, I, I bet there's a lot of there's probably a lot of trading companies in New York who you could just you could rent out your closure developer because there's like trading companies they've got hipster developers that they had and they left the trading company and you could just become a closure consultancy and rent out your closure developers to high frequency trading companies just in case you need to pivot yeah uh, I don't, jeff i don't want services revenue i don't want that i, I, I want to build a great tool and that and, would be you know, get really <laughs> really good services revenue if you're just serving closure developers to high frequency trading companies it's cool that you built your own javascript framework you're the that's this and you're the second company actually that i've talked to recently that that did that Airtable also did that which is interesting because it seems like speaking of standards like we've centralized around react but now i guess react is too generalized we need to build more specific JavaScript frameworks. Yeah, and I, I think you know we started before React was really a thing. I mean, it was around, but wasn't wasn't the thing it is today, right? And you know, I, it just the the frameworks at the time were were pretty overweight, and we just went back to let's take jQuery, let's take a couple other libraries, and and build this out because it has to be fast, and we we wanted that level of level of control and, and level of speed. And like I said, we're, we're plugging in some React. React is great because you can sort of incrementally add it to, to your front end. But yeah, I mean, it, it just always came down to this has to be fast. Like the, I'm a developer. I don't want to wait for things. I'm, I'm impatient. And part of this just comes back to me uh, sort of, you know, stomping around the office and saying like, what is this? Why doesn't this go faster? Right. And, you know, I, I think I'm 
reasonably well known for us buying new SaaS tools and them not working the way that I think they should or something, and then you know immediately escalating to the CEO or something like that. So you know, I, I just hold myself to that that same standard, and and I try to hold Clubhouse to that that same standard. And I, I just I don't know if there was any other way around it, especially five years ago when we started, we had to had to put together a thing that could go as fast as we wanted to. And, and that was the really the only way to do it at the time. Cool. Well, we got to wrap up, you know, very interesting engineering stack, very interesting objective. seems like you're doing great. A lot of stuff I, I we didn't get to. Maybe an, we'll, another one. We'll do another one at some point in the future. There, you know, I really wanted to ask you about ad tech. Um, we've done a bunch of shows about advertising fraud. And I've really been trying to get to get an understanding of how much fraud there is. Um, is the entire ad tech business just in denial about the amount of fraud in this business? Like the amount of, you know, uh, ads that are viewed by bots? Is it like you're, you're taking me back, Jeff, to my last company? Uh, it's been so long. I don't know. I, I don't know how that. It's an interesting industry, and I think all you know, there's. That's one adjective you could use to describe it. <laughs> you know, maybe it is. Maybe there is a lot of fraud. I think it's also built into the price model. Like, I think if, if the, the best way Spoken to... Spoken like a true New Yorker. Wow. <laughs> built you know, into the pricing. Of course. If, oh, yeah. If, Definitely. It's an efficient market. If, this is the new efficient markets dogma, is that bots are factored into the price of online advertising. I wish I had a better answer for you, but if you're if you're happy with your CPAs, uh, again, uh, I'm sure you, you we've both seen that you know there's a slide somewhere, an image of sort of like the ed tech online ed tech industry, right? And it's got those seven thousand companies on it, right? And I don't know, probably maybe half the of Lumascape. Those, yeah, yeah, the Lumascape, right? And maybe you know, ten percent of those are probably just click farms somewhere. In, in, in another country <laughs> yes. where people are clicking on ads. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I try not to think about it too much. Uh, you know, put, install your ad blockers and, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, use Firefox as much as possible. And, and you know, you'll be better than 99% of the people out there. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a rough industry. My, my last company was an ad tech, but we were very much vertical solution for, for travel ads and we're within Expedia orbits, that sort of thing. So my... You know, trying to deal with too much ad fraud was was never a big part of of my mandate on the team I ran over there, which was great because it sounds just like a nightmare. But yeah, I mean, it's got to be it, it's a lot, and and I don't even understand the entire uh, economic model for click fraud. But people must be making a lot of money off of it, and if people are making money oh, off yeah. of it, they're going to find a way to do it, right? So uh, I'm glad I'm not there anymore. It it was a it, it's quite <laughs> quite a mess. It is hilarious. Okay. Kurt, thanks for coming on the show. Really good talking to you. And uh, we'll do this again sometime. Yeah, for sure. This is great. And I love the show. And I'd love to come back sometime. So just let me know. Wow.